The content presented in this podcast is solely for educational purposes and should not be used as medical advice to diagnose, manage, or treat any health conditions. If you or someone you know has a condition or disease discussed in this podcast, we would encourage you to create and implement a care plan specific to your needs under the supervision of an appropriately licensed healthcare professional. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of experts in the field of fetal medicine and should not be interpreted as the standard of care. Trigger warning, this episode discusses stillbirth, infant loss, and fetal loss, and may be distressing or triggering for some of our listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Two. Are you introducing? You want to introduce? You introduce. Okay. Well, hey, roommates, we're back, as he just said. This is Aaron Moise. I'm I, back. This is Ken Moise. He's very eager tonight. He's, I scooped you. He scooped me. We haven't recorded in a while, so I've got to get back in. We haven't. We, we took some, some time off. Well, we had a lot of back recording. We had to catch up. Yeah, we had some catch up to do. So we are on to part two of, we've now said there's four parts. Maybe there will be more, but this is part two on the topic of stillbirth and continuing our discussions. So this particular part um, will kind of be a continuation of last week's part one, still kind of talking about stillbirth in the context of House of the Dragon, just one, uh, episode 10, The Black Queen. There's still lots of dragons. There's still lots of dragons, but there's just one in the title. Last week, we talked about risk factors, <laughs> some of the fetal causes, some of the maternal causes of stillbirth, some factors that we can control. We talked about some antenatal testing, and we discussed delivery briefly in terms of delivering a stillborn, but also future deliveries, future pregnancies a bit there. And so, Dr. Moise, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I think we, you know, now that you get the stillbirth delivered, let's say, so you gave prostaglandin or oxytocin and you've got the baby delivered, you're trying to figure out what caused this. And I think that is important because um, there'll always be questions in the next pregnancy. And if you can identify what we call a non-recurrent cause, let's say the baby has a chromosomal problem or uh, some kind of infection that doesn't come back, then you can reassure the mother that the chance of recurrent stillbirth is much less. I think the more difficult situation is when you can't find a cause despite the workup we'll talk about in a minute, then then you're going to do your antenatal testing and you're going to um, probably deliver the patient early just to reassure her. But let's see if we can figure out a cause. One of the things that people talk about, and I think this came up in the House of, House of the Dragon episode, was this nuchal cord thing, right? Actually, how, how common do you think nuchal cords are? I, I always wondered about this. We always hear about, well, the baby's strangulated because it had a cord around its neck, right? Yeah. I think I think you know I delivered you. I think you had a nuchal cord too. I had a nuchal cord. I think so. Yeah. I turned out yeah. okay. See there, <laughs> you can you can do podcasts. So if you look at the literature, <laughs> almost, real high bar, <laughs> right? Well, you went to PA school too, so that's okay. Okay, that's yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. So if you look for one loop around the neck, that's almost one in four babies born have at least one loop around their neck. They that's a pretty good amount. Yeah, you know, they do a somersault while they're little, and they swim around their cord, and you can get around their arm. And wasn't it our niece that 
So it would be my niece, your granddaughter. Oh, yeah, my granddaughter. Like, <laughs> it would be my your niece. Your niece, my granddaughter, have like loops she around had the neck two, and She had arm. a double. She had a double nuchal cord, and they tried to divert her. <laughs> yeah, with all that, they tried to divert her. That was kind of crazy. Yeah. She ended fun, up with a C-section. Fun shout-out fact. The longer the cord, the more active the baby. Huh. Guess what your, my granddaughter and your niece has turned out to be, right? She is. Cracker Jack. I mean, can you absorb some of that energy, like by diffusion? I don't know, but she had it in utero because she had a long cord. Yeah, well, yeah. there you go. Okay, multiple loops, uh, maybe you know two or three or more, that's only like 3 or 4% that have multiple loops of oh, cord. okay. Yeah, it's not very common. And all the studies have shown that that's not a cause of stillbirth. The infamous Wharton's jelly, that goop that surrounds the blood vessels in the cord, <laughs> cushions the cord. You can see it on the episode. You can actually see the Wharton's jelly oh, yeah, pretty well. Okay. Yeah, because it's still... So the what I found interesting about the prop in the in the episode, the nuchal cord is very thin. I yeah. mean, like that umbilical cord that I've seen, that thin I would say is in like trisomies, actually. Yeah, you can get less Wharton's jelly in trisomies. Well, yes. but even the like just circumference of the cord and itself. And IUJR is babies very, will yeah, have less Wharton's jelly. Very small. And the diabetic babies have really fat cords. Oh. Yeah, they have really high levels of Wharton jelly. Is that why they have big heads? <laughs> yeah, right. So the Wharton's jelly is that white stuff inside the cord that surrounds the blood vessels and, and cushions it. So it can be wrapped around the neck or around an arm or something, and the blood flows fine. So nuchal cords, let's rule that out, is not the cause. So if you get a nuchal cord, you can't write this off and say, see, that's why you had a stillbirth. You had a nuchal cord. I hear it way too many times. They call it a cord accident. There are cord accidents. They do occur. But the pathologist can typically find blood clots and certain segments of the cord that are problematic, like maybe even at the belly button where it twisted or something like that. So they do occur. Pathology usually can find it. We'll talk about that in a second. But the standard nuchal cord around the neck, that's not a cause of stillbirth. Do not worry about that. Normal finding in so many deliveries. Not to worry. So then how do we start this process of a workup for a stillbirth? Right. Okay, perfect question because this is key. So the first thing you're going to do is get blood on the mom. You can look to see on the maternal side, was there something that could explain it? You know, we've spent a long time talking about red cell immunization. And just because she's RH positive, think about, well, could another antibody have shown up somewhere late in the pregnancy could have caused it? So an antibody screen, just, you know, just a regular antibody screen on the mother looking for weird antibodies to weird red cell antigens. A KB stain, why that? Well, if there's been a bleed between the baby and the mother and the baby lost a lot of blood, that's been associated with a stillbirth. And so getting a KB stain to show a lot of fetal cells in mom's circulation would be diagnostic of a cause, i.e. feto to maternal hemorrhage uh, as a cause of stillbirth. There are some autoimmune antibodies, antiphospholipid antibodies. Uh, we talk about lupus anticoagulant, anti-cardiolipin antibody and anti-beta-2 glycoprotein 1A antibodies that are formed by mothers that do attack the placenta and cause thrombosis, usually associated with IUGR or growth restriction, that can cause stillbirth. So it's probably worth getting an antiphospholipid panel on the mother. Um, some people you know, will do a syphilis test. It causes stillbirth on RPR. Texas holds the record every year for the number of stillbirths from syphilis. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the record of like stillbirth. No, we, we the break record the record for the, for the country wow. in stillbirths related to uh, a congenital syphilis. Well, and syphilis, syphilis is, syphilis testing is standard prenatal care. 
Right. So we test all pregnant women uh, at the start of pregnancy. We, in the state of Texas, by law, we test again at 28 weeks. And then we test again at delivery on the cord uh, because it can treat that in the baby. But the 28-week test is to see if somebody acquires syphilis during the pregnancy because it can be treated quite easily with penicillin and prevent stillbirth in infection in the baby. Uh, so that's a treatable cause of stillbirth or prevention of stillbirth. As far as diabetes, you've got to have really bad diabetes. And so some people will get a hemoglobin A1C, but typically this is in the overt diabetic who's not in good control. Uh, and so most people will say hemoglobin A1C is probably not indicated as the final test on the mother. So just to reiterate, antibody screen, KB stain, antiphospholipid antibodies, and maybe a syphilis test. That's mom. We're done with her. Okay, so those are tests we can run on mom. You mentioned chromosomes being a kind of a good chunk of the percentages of causes of stillbirth. So how do we get chromosomes on a baby? Yeah, that's tough. So we've got a stillbirth. If the baby's been dead for a little while, um, the skin actually begins to slough at about 24 hours. A lot of the tissues on the outside of the baby are not viable anymore. And so people will try to take a piece of tissue from inside the baby, like an Achilles tendon or some other things, and, and they never grow. They never grow. Now, the good news is we've gone to like computerized chips in in the microarray. And so you can do that and more likely get a result than the old growing cells and getting a karyotype. But here's, here's a take home. Amniotic fluid, even if the baby's been dead for two weeks, will still grow. So it's really easy just to drop a needle into the fluid and, and take a sample and send it like you would do any amniocentesis. And that's more likely to get you a good chromosome result and growing cells that could be used for karyotype, microarray, and even whole exomes uh, sequencing. So I think that would be the best thing to get would be amniotic fluid. And and this, you're saying amniotic fluid from a, basically a clean sam- sample from sticking a needle into mom's belly before any initiation of delivery, whether that's an induction, a C-section, anything like that. Yeah, I probably would, you know, make sure mom has her epidural, why put well, her through sure, pain, yeah. and then, you know, just take ultrasound, find a pocket, you can't hurt the baby, and just grab some fluid like you would do a regular amnio and, and send that to your lab like you would do any other. And studies have shown that 85% of the time, it's going to grow. You're going to get the cells you need to get the karyotype. Whereas if you try to take fetal tissue and do a complete karyotype, it's going to be about 25% of the time will it give you a result. So go with the amniotic fluid if you can. If you can't, what you can try to do is get a little piece of placental plate right by the cord insertion and put that in media and send that to the lab or ask your pathologist to get a sample from the placenta. Don't put it in formal and send it fresh and let them do the karyotype and the chromosomes. So I think of all the tests you could do, this is an easy test to do and gives you results you know, maybe 15% of the time you have an answer for the patient as to why there was a stillbirth. And probably with the chromosomes being kind of a high percentage of the causes of stillbirth, one of the most important, you would probably say, in terms of figuring out a cause. Yeah, and I think it kind of falls to the obstetrician, particularly with amniocentesis, to do this. So we'll talk about placenta here in a minute uh, and pathology, but this is simple for you to do. You do amnios all the time for maturity, for maybe less so these days than we used to, but uh, it's pretty simple to drop a needle into a pocket of fluid and take some fluid and, and send it for chromosomes like you would anything else. Okay, so say maybe a scenario where she had great prenatal care, maybe she was under the 
she had an OB that already did an amniocentesis and her chromosomes were normal, but she still ended up with a stillbirth. So what are the next steps in evaluation that we could maybe do for a baby that has chromosomes back or one that we've also sent an amnio? Maybe we just aren't sure if we're going to get a sample from that. Can we send anything else to try and figure out this cause? Yeah, so I think your next best um, home run here is the placenta. So you want to send that to your pathologist and have them look at that pretty carefully. Now, people try to culture the placenta for like groupie strep and all. The problem is when you do a vaginal birth, a placental culture, just a regular swab, is pretty worthless and really doesn't help you too much. There is a protocol where you can separate the membranes and try to do a swab between the amnion and the chorion to try to send that for groupie strep. But in reality, doing cultures of the placenta that you pull through the vagina is probably fraught with uh, contamination of different bacteria. But you want to send the placenta uh, for to pathology, and there should be a standard protocol at your institution to g- examine that placenta. In one big series of 500 stillbursts in a U.S. study, 64% of the time the placenta helped. Uh, it could be an abruption. It could be uh, fibrin deposition. It could be other things that pointed to infection, that pointed to why the stillbirth occurred. So placental pathology is key. Uh, you got to get that done. Okay. And then uh, this is, I guess, kind of first step is chromosomes, second step, placental pathology. This is kind of our next step up. What about an autopsy? Right. Well, I think patients these days are very hesitant to agree to an autopsy. We had a little talk today about autopsy, and we'll follow up with that in a subsequent podcast. But um, I think you really want to try to push for an autopsy in the unexplained stillbirth. And let me give you an example. We just took care of a patient with gall disease, G-A-L-D, that's gestational autoimmune liver disease. And she had a previous stillbirth at 36 weeks. And thank goodness they got an autopsy. And what they found was evidence of hepatic failure on histology in that fetus with classic findings for gall disease. Without that autopsy, that would have never been found. It was it was an unexplained stillbirth at 36 weeks in her second pregnancy. Her first pregnancy was uneventful. And based on that histology and the presumptive diagnosis of gall disease, which it has to be by neonatal autopsy, she was treated with IVIG throughout the next pregnancy with a successful outcome in another baby. So I suspect that, that there are stillbirths occurring with no autopsy where we don't know what caused it, and then we have a recurrent stillbirth. And that's, in, in particular for gall disease, that happens about 90% of the time in the next pregnancy. So that's one example of why an autopsy might be key, uh, and in some studies can add another 30 40% of the etiologies to explain stillbirth. There are protocols to do x-rays and even MRIs in babies uh, to try to get information if the patient doesn't want an autopsy. Realize that autopsies are no longer paid by insurance companies. Hospitals eat the cost of autopsies, but they will generally do them for stillbirths if requested. But you really want to get a probably a pediatric pathologist who has an interest in placentas and, and stillbirths, not a general pathologist, to look at, look at this to see if they can figure out the cause. And after all that, chromosomes, placenta, autopsy, the gold plate workup, a fourth of the time, we have no idea why this patient had a loss and we're frustrated. And that's where we go into the next pregnancy with, I don't know, I'm sorry, I can tell you, I don't know. And we're going to do antenatal testing, maybe deliver you a little bit early and hope for the best, which is very frustrating as a maternal fetal specialist to tell the patient that, but I think we have to be honest and tell them that sometimes we just don't know. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad we're kind of ending on autopsies because I think that sets the stage for some discussions that we'll be having in the fourth part of this, talking about 
some specific questions and going into some specifics with a pediatric pathologist that has a special interest in this area and can kind of shed some light on, I think, a lot of the details that maybe moms don't even know to ask and seeing it as an option and seeing kind of seeing the spectrum of diagnostics that can be done to kind of help determine a cause that could help guide kind of treatment in future pregnancies. So... Yeah, I'll just conclude this. Stillbirth's an awful situation. Um, I've had friends that have had stillbirths near term, and they always grieve the loss. And hopefully our social worker will talk a little bit about memory making and things like that. This is probably one of the most traumatic things a woman can go through. She's bonded with that baby in today's day and time. She's seen that baby on ultrasound many times moving around. She feels that baby moving. She's named that baby. Uh, These days with free DNA, she knows if it's a boy or girl. And then all of a sudden, everything goes awry and we, we have a baby that's born without a heartbeat. So the psychological component of this is important to address. I think we're all getting better at that than we did years past. And, you know, we don't want to hear the doctors say, well, don't worry about this. You can always get pregnant again. That's just the wrong thing to say. I still hear it sometimes from nurses and, or you have three other great children. Why are you worried about this? It's not helpful for the patient to hear that. She really will grieve the loss of this child for many years to come. Yes. So that will be next week's episode is Miss Delaney Herman coming on to give us some good resources and some good insights into kind of this process and the grieving process. And that will be part three, but this wraps up part two and wraps up the House of the Dragon episode discussions on Until it. next year when a new series comes on. Until I'm sure there's more OB cases that will pop up on season two. More deliveries to talk about. But in the meantime, this is Aaron Moise signing off. And this is Ken Moise. More to follow. See ya.